Amen. Stand up on your feet, take your Bibles and turn anywhere. It's all good. That means the notes are done. Are the notes done? Awesome. Welcome to a spirit-filled Pentecostal church where we can just flow. I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm sure that was my error. I was very pressed to finish this. It's not a message of my own crafting, I might add. First uh, Peter, it's a message that was preached by my pastor, by our senior pastor, but two weeks ago. It's a two-part series, and I'm going to do both messages. I'll do the first one tonight and the second one next week next Sunday as the Lord leads. First Peter chapter 2 and uh, find verse 21 and then we'll read First Peter 3 through 7. Are you all there? First Peter, here we go. Verse 21, New International Version. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example of what? An example that you should follow in his steps. Somebody say amen in the house of God. Amen. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, are you messing with my sound while I'm reading? Because I'm very handicapped. Is that just my imagination or is it me? It is? All right, you forgive me then. Verse 23. But you know what's good about that? You never will. Amen? <laughs> I love you. You guys are awesome back there. Okay, verse 23. I know you all want to be part of the sound ministry now, I'm sure. Verse 23. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I love that. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on, a, on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Chapter 3. Wives. Are there any wives out there? Very good. Wives, in the same way. Let's all say that together. Wives, in the same way. Submit yourselves to your own. You don't have to read the whole thing if you don't want to. But I'll read it for you. Submit yourself to your own husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without the words, without words by the, by the what? By the behavior of their wives. Well, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold and jewelry and fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of an inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and of a gentle and quiet of a gentle and quiet spirit. Just making sure you guys are listening, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands. Anybody? Any 
It'll be equal beatings tonight, I'm just telling you. Husbands. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you of the precious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Lord, move in power, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Dr. Morocco is in the midst of a series uh, called Strength, which is the word of the Lord for us for this whole next year, called Strength. And uh, I endeavor, which means I don't always get to do it, but I frequently listen to his messages and his preaching. And uh, when I came across this, and, and it, one of the ways you know that God really used that in impactful ways, the message that was preached, is when you, when you hear feedback of friends that you know in the church, of people texting and emailing. So this message had an impact in a significant way in the church. And as I looked at it, I thought, oh, we are high time for a word like this. And so I went ahead and borrowed his outlines, which I will, will do, and I'm going to preach this to you. There's a lot of pressure on families today, and uh, there's been tremendous destruction in families. There's pressure on our families because of finance. There's pressure on our families for many, many, many different reasons. And uh, in fact, we're a culture that moves around more than ever before. Can I have a little bit more monitor, please? We're a culture that moves around more than ever. How many of you moved in the last year? Raise your hand. Okay, how about the last two years? Last four years? Last five years? Okay, watch this. Last 10. You moved in the last 10. With, like, it, within the last 10. So if you moved last year, you qualify. Lift, last 10 years, you, you moved. Okay, so just look around for a second. Okay, so that is a phenomena that did not take place 50 years ago. 50 years ago, 60 years ago, people didn't move around. They, they grew up in one house. They grew up in a town. They had a, the church was in the center of the town. You know, and there's some, there's some variations to that. But moving a lot causes stress. In fact, they, they said that Psychology Today or something, said, said it's, moving is one of the greatest stresses you can have. I thought, what? I can't, I can't even count how many times we've moved. Can't count. The greatest pressure in families is on marriages. The devil hates your marriage. And he'd love to destroy your marriage. And he's very clear ways of, of, of how to do that and how he works so hard. And in actual fact, the family in, in the U.S. of A. and really across the world has been by and large hammered because of the destruction of marriages. See, if you can strike the shepherd, then the sheep scatter, right? So if you can destroy a marriage, what happens to the kids? They get so wounded, they get so hurt. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've, been, if you've gone through a divorce in your family, but the odds are probably three quarters of you. Divorce is a curse word that we never utter in our home. It will not happen, so help me God, till death do us part. We ain't getting divorced, ever. You stuck with me, and I'm happily stuck with you. Now, we desperately need biblical insight right in your notes. We desperately need biblical insight as to make how, how to make our marriages strong for the, and our families strong. Because if we don't know how to have strong marriages, you're not going to have a strong family, and then you're going to live a world of hurt, and the curse will continue in this country. The curse will continue in this nation. But I believe that God is raising up a people even within this house to have strong marriages and strong families. Rebuke anything else. Everything else is a lie from the devil, and you don't need to have it. So as we look at this text, um, this key phrase, I made you say it in the same way. 
talking to the women here in the text that we read, but you have to go back to understand what he's saying in the same way, this key phrase, in the same way. First of all, we're to live as, as to be witnesses of God's glory. That's what we're all called to do. This is a lot of mine. <laughs> I'm going to let it shine. This is a lot. Come on, kids. I'm going to. Oh, this is a lot of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Ah. Oh, you guys on fire tonight. Come on. All right, so, I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to reflect, we're supposed to represent the Lord and His glory in all that we do. So the key phrase here, in the same way, go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. I won't let Satan blow it out. Mm. 1 Peter 2, 12. Well, it's taken from verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners, exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. Listen, listen closely. Listen, when you read the, when you read the don't go reading the Bible. I'm going I'm to teach and kind of pasture, and I don't know where this is all going. And I'm going to give myself the liberty to blow off the rest of the notes if I need to. All right? When you read the Word of God, read it. Not like you're fulfilling a religious obligation. You're going to hurry up and get through your seven chapters that you read or your one, whatever you're reading. And then you'll be like, well, I, I read. And then you feel good because you, I mean, when you read it, like, read it. Let, 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 let God speak to you. It's God's word. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submiss, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. To every human, whether it be emperor, he's, he's talking about living a life that is, that is worthy of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's, he's talking about submitting to authority. He's talking about being a witness. He's talking in the same way he uses numerous times, Peter, to talk in reference to Jesus. So our lives are supposed to be like Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. But we're supposed to submit to our wives, really, in reverence as well. We're to be as humble as Jesus was. Peter's writing this, and you have to, you have to remember that Peter was pretty humbled when he got his feet washed by the Lord. We're supposed to be like Jesus. Humble, reverent, grateful servants. I've shared that with you before. We're to be humble as Jesus. Well, look at three. We're to live as free men. This is verse 16. And we didn't read this, but verse 16 says, Live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves or God's servants. We're to live as free men, to live as servants of God. That's a command. Are you a servant of the Lord? Then, then you would have served Him today at some capacity. And tomorrow, tonight, tomorrow, the next day, we're to be servants of the Lord. Show proper respect to everyone. And we started reading this. Verse 17 talks about that. Show proper respect to, to everyone. He's talking about how Jesus did it. 
in the same way refers to exactly how the Lord was when he walked the earth and his model in the word. And that's the way we're supposed to be. When Peter focuses on attitudes. Oh, look at five. Sorry, five. We're called to follow Christ's example in all our relationships. So the basis then for a healthy marriage is to be like Jesus. Listen, here's the thing, dude. You can bellyache about your wife and how she's nagging you and being the fourth part of the Trinity if there was such a thing. But have you acted like Christ? I've shared this so many times before, but going through a difficult time in ministry, which has happened more times than I can count, I'd call and get counsel, call Dr. Morocco, and I was really going through a hard time. And he said, oh, Pastor Daniel, nobody's trying to burn you at the stake, are they? I said, no. He said, okay, have you resisted to the point of shedding blood yet? I'm like, no. He said, it's going to be all right. Let me pray for you. So let me just tell you, in your marriage, have you resisted to the point of shedding blood, you selfish bonehead? Have you? Have you? I'm going over here. I don't feel any love on this side. Have you? Have you? Have you been like Jesus before you complain, moan about, about how nagging and how whatever and she doesn't respect you and everything? So have you acted like Jesus towards your wife? Have you, have you put to death your flesh and picked up your BBDs and served God with your hair on fire, gotten up early, fasted and prayed and laid hands on her, brought her flowers and served her with all your heart, mind and soul and strength? Ask God to anoint you afresh and to get rid of the hate and that strife and to drive it out of your Have you done that? Okay, so let me just talk to the ladies before you get complaining that he doesn't love you. He doesn't love you. Have you respected him? Have you served him? Have you been like Jesus to him? Have you done it? Have you done that? I ain't feeling the love on this side. I know what's going on. Stop in the name of love. Think it over. Stop in the name of love. My wife's so funny. Can I let you in on a little secret? So she feels that certain things that I do are effeminate. So whenever she looks, it looks, you know, sissified, she just goes like this on the front row. Just go like this. Just go like this. Yes! No, no! Like this. Everybody go like this. Stop. In the name of love. Is that better? Awesome. Yeah! All right. Where are we, Pastor Kirsten? Peter focuses. Did you get, did you get five? Okay. Uh, Peter focuses on our attitudes. We are servants of Christ. And serve others for Christ's sake. So men and women were called to serve each other like Christ served the church. That's what we're called to do. And let me say that you should be the same at, at home as you are at church. Otherwise, you're a hypocrite. You say, well, that's why I don't go to church because you're hypocrites in church. Well, that's where hypocrites should go so they can get set free in a service like this one. You hypocrite, you. <laughs> Peter focuses on order. If you look at uh, the third chapter now. 
wives in the same way. Now he's talking about, he's talking about the same way that Jesus served. That's what he's talking about. That's the context of this. So wives, he begins to tell them in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Peter focuses on order. You know, uh, there's an order, to be an order in the home. And, and really, as he goes on to talk about the order in the home, the man is to be the head of his household. Now, you can't get away from that. Now, it could be that the man doesn't have a gift of leadership as strong as the wife. So a smart, spirit-filled, Christ-like man is going to release his wife to serve in that gift of leadership. Not that she's giving all the orders and she's wearing the pants, but there's an order. My wife is a hundred times better at certain things than I am. And I'm better at other things. We function together as a team. To, to submit is to, to yield to, to work together. It doesn't mean that you're, doesn't mean that you're um, uh, a doormat. And it doesn't mean that you're lower. Do a whole word study on submit. It's, it's, it's quite a thing. In, um, here, this is a Dr. Morocco thing right here. In the Roman world, Praetoria Protesta, fascinating. That is, in the first century, that's what women had to live under. Praetoria Protesta. You say, what is that? That is where the man is, is basically in charge and responsible for all of life. So if he doesn't like the baby's born, he can kill it and that's not a problem. If he doesn't want to have a wife anymore, he can go get another one. It was, that's what he lived, that's what women lived under in the first century. So you might think that you have it hard, ma'am. But you've come a long way, baby. That's like a Virginia Slim cigarette commercial, I think. Jesus, help me. <laughs> He's focusing on order in the home. It's true. I don't know if you're in the 70s. Anybody remember that? All right. Thank you, Pastor Vince. God bless you. You know, Pastor Vince would have raised his hand anyway just to make me feel better. Because he'd be like, all right. All right. Here we go. Trying to preach somebody else's message, but it's powerful. Uh, fourthly, Peter focuses on true beauty. Oh, I love this. I made my daughter memorize it. I made my daughter. And I think, that all, I think that all women and little girls should memorize it. And really, little boys should memorize it, too. Because there's so much focus on outward beauty right now and so much focus on the selfie generation. Peter focuses, look at verse 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold, jewelry, fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of an inner self of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. I heard this expression. I'm not quite sure what it means, but I like it. Beauty is skin deep, but ugly goes straight to the bone. <laughs> beauty has nothing to do with how you, I've, se I've seen some people all made up and, you know, the Pentecostal churches have taken this and just said, well, you should just wear nothing. I mean, no, you should wear lots of clothes to cover everything, but no makeup. No jewelry, no, 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 you know, no ornate, no bling. You know, I'm grateful for makeup. I think makeup's nice. But how many of you know I'm just going to push through?
intercessors pray before I get myself in trouble. Okay, okay, okay. So, <clears throat> come quiet on the front row. Ushers. <laughs> what are we talking about? Inner beauty. A lot of people try to have the outer beauty, but they're ugly. You ugly. Uh, uh, you ugly on the inside. And it doesn't matter what kind of makeup you put or what kind of bling you wear. If you're ugly on the inside, you're ugly. And he's saying, he's saying, listen, your, your beauty should come from an inward peace and, and a gentle spirit, not from outward adornment. He's saying we're supposed to be like Jesus. He's not talking about personality. If you get to know my wife, um, she is, well, she's part Italian. She's fiery. My wife's fiery. I used to say, but I don't say anymore because it got me in trouble. But I used to say that we have just all dull knives at our house because my wife's half Italian. And then I got some people offended and they were like, oh, what are you talking about? Mediterranean temperament. Fiery. Spicy meatball. It's a spicy meatball. It's personality. But there's got to come, I'm not, he's not talking about personality. You can, be, you can be spicy or you can be really calm and chill. My kids tell me I don't have any chill. I'm thank, frankly, I'm grateful for it. If I had chill, I'd been dead a long time ago. He's not talking about personality. He's talking about allowing Christ to dwell in you richly and for that, that, that inner beauty of, of walking and talking with God coming out of your life, out of your mouth. Your words, your actions. He's talking about focusing on your spirit, becoming more like Christ is what he's talking about. Matthew eleven twenty nine. it says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Amplified version. Follow me as my disciple. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest, renewal, blessed quiet for your soul. See, we're supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be humble, reverent, grateful servants. We're supposed to let that dwell on us richly. I, I, I'm getting convicted. I was getting convicted as I was hearing doctor preach it to me. As I was preparing, I'm thinking, I'm not, I don't always have that going on. Well, ladies, do you have that going on? Men, do you have that going on? Are you at peace? Don't be a busybody. Do you know that I have, I have seen people destroy their homes because... And I, I don't know why it's been mostly females. To be, I think because they're relational more than men are. You know, I was thinking about just some of the ways that we communicate as men. It's, no, it, it's really, we can say whole sentences. And, you know, it's like I see somebody, how you doing? Good. You know, I, you're like, I know what that means. You know, how you doing? Good. You know, yeah, awesome. And then there's like food there. Can I look? Yeah, we're going to eat. Let's eat. Go over to the food table with some ketchup. You're like, bro, I'm going to pass the ketchup to you, salt and pepper. There's whole conversations that happen with like five words. So what was this? That means your day was all right. You're glad it's over. Glad there's steak here. Praise God. Let's have a barbecue. That, that's not how women communicate. Women are relational. And you can see that from Genesis, right? So I've seen because for whatever reason, woundings, different things, I've seen, I've seen, Women, it's mostly women. There are some men that act like women, but they, they have a way of getting involved in everybody's problems. 
because they want to help them. It's a nurturing thing. I mean, it can be a good thing. You don't want to help people and help their problems. But listen, you can help, you can try to help people so much that you destroy your own family. And you don't have any peace because you're trying to help everybody and you should just stay out of other people's business. Hello? Did I get in trouble? Because if I did, then it's consistent. Welcome to KC. Amen? Praise the Lord. You can't fix everybody's problems. But you have to learn to, we all have to learn to be like Christ. Amen? We're to do right and not live in fear. And this is, and this is amazing. And I was, as I looked at this, I was thinking about the conference and how, how the, the Spirit of God dealt with fear at our women's conference. Look at, look at verse 6. Likewise, Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him the Lord. It's really a sign of respect. It's not like you bow down to me and I'm the king. You're her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. That's a fascinating thing. There's an assignment of fear, especially on women, and it got dealt with at this women's conference. And I've started thinking about this. Uh, you know, if you yield to fear, you can start developing all kinds of phobias. Actually, I don't know when it happened for me, but I decided that I'm not going to yield to fear ever. I'm not doing that. Because somehow I know in my heart, and I'm not sure how this happened, but I believe it to be true for me. That if I yield to fear, that fear will grow, and that fear might become a phobia to grow to other fears. So if I start feeling afraid of something, but I know the Lord called me to it, I run at it. You're like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yield to fear. I don't do fear. I don't do intimidation. You know, I'm and I don't know, it's just sort of the way the Lord wired me up. If, if somebody was big and intimidating and, you know, prior to being saved and all that, it looked like I'd just walk right up to him. What? That was also a spirit of stupid. But in the spirit, don't yield to fear. Because if you start yielding to fear, it'll start controlling your whole house. It'll start controlling your mind. It'll start controlling your early. If you're constantly afraid that your husband's cheating on you, constantly afraid that you're not going to have enough money, constantly afraid that your kids aren't going to be all right, that they're going to be harmed, they're going to be injured, they're going to be in some accident, you have to cause that thing to shut up. Don't yield to fear. Come on, God's going to protect you. God's going to help you. Amen? Peter's saying focus on doing the right thing. Don't give way to fear. Come on, say the Lord's with me. Yeah, the Lord's with you, so what do you have to worry about? So Peter's looking at marriage from the viewpoint of as a Christian. The, the problem is, is that the church doesn't even know who they are. The church doesn't know about being the servant. The church doesn't know about being Christ-like. The body of Christ, by and large, doesn't know what it is to mortify their flesh and to, to take every thought captive. There's been, there's been identity theft. So, I mean, if you don't know who you are as a believer, it's going to be pretty hard to be a Christ-like person in your marriage. You, you have to get discipled. You really do. The husband is called to honor his wife. Look at verse 7. Husband's in the same way. There it is. Same way. Same way as what? Same way as Jesus. We're all supposed to be like Christ to each other. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect. Do you know that word respect is the same word as translated precious? Would you put on the screen for me, please, Ephesians 5, 24. The word respect is the same word as precious. 
so that, you know, people demanding that you get respect. Treat her with respect. Treat her as precious. You treat her. I'll tell you when my marriage is just firing on all 12 cylinders, and we have 12 cylinders for sure. Fantastic marriage. I love you. You're crazy. Awesome. If I treat her as precious. I don't always do that. I probably need to repent right now. Forgive me for being crabby right before service. I'm so sorry. I think I repented before, didn't I? Anyway, you know, you, welcome. All right, that's what you got to do. Yeah, you have to repent. If you haven't repented lately, you might want to try that on the way home. You big jerk. Very bad. You also have to remember that it's all your fault, gentlemen. Let me give you something else. Be careful what you say. He said, but she said such and such and so and so. Yes, but if whatever you say, you'll be reminded of for the next 25 years. No, they just have amazing memories. I, I'm not sure why that is, but it's just true. Precious. Everybody say precious. When I treat my wife as precious. I love what Pastor Kirsten says about his kids. My precious treasures. Isn't that it? I constantly call him, and you'll always remember that. You'll always remember your, your dad calling you his precious treasure. You know why? Because you are his precious treasure. If we treat our wives, and he's talking to the husbands now, we treat them as precious treasure, like the greatest thing that God has given you, the greatest thing is salvation. The next greatest thing God gave you is your wife. Now, if you haven't figured that out yet, you're stupid. I'm trying to, okay, that was amplified version. Dumb as a box of rocks. If you haven't figured that out yet, you need to be awakened to the reality because you're so selfish. That's why you haven't figured it out yet. We, should I say we? We can be so selfish. We have children, and so stupid's a bad word. Right, got it. You should have wanted them to say stupid because stupid's a bad word. So, if you haven't figured out, so sorry, I'll just take that back. If you haven't figured out that your wife is precious, you're an idiot. No, I'm just kidding. Foolish. Okay, foolish. Let's move on. Ephesians 5.24. I need help tonight. I need some help tonight. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. But it's easy to submit to the guy who's being crucified for you. Do you understand? Do you understand? Okay. okay. So the word respect is, is precious, and you need to treat her as, as precious. I know people that treat their four-wheelers more precious than they treat their wife. H. The husband be aware that he and his wife are heirs of the precious gift of life. Verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Now, some scholars say that they're talking about the raising of children, and it certainly could be that, the raising of children, the gift of life, right? It could be that. But I think more, it's number two. Number two is that you're both eternal and precious to God. Listen, your wife, your, your wife has angels. Your husband has angels. Your kids have angels that see the face of God every day, the scriptures say. 
So we should be loving, kind, compassionate, gentle, long-suffering. Come on, we should, we should be humble, reverent, grateful servants. And many times people don't have healthy marriages because they act the fool. And they demand that they get the respect or they get the love or they get the thing. And why don't you just die to yourself? Why don't you die? It just takes one person to get off the, get off the treadmill of the, of the pattern of the world and start serving until it changes. You know, you can't, people can't resist God's love. And when God's love starts coming from the other person, it changes everything. Now, let me just tell you, there is nothing greater than, other than your relationship with the Lord and the walk with the Holy Spirit, than having a blessed marriage. You know, unless you're called to celibacy, I'm not going to crack a joke. I guess that was a joke by me saying it, but, but there is a calling of celibacy. And those are really the two states. You're, you're either married or you're celibate, right? There is lifetime celibacy. And I'm sure that's amazing. I'm glad God didn't call me to it. But maybe he called you. And that's an honorable thing. We know, we know some people that are called to be single and serve God all their life. I know them. They're the most amazing people I know. I think they're the most amazing people I know. It's amazing. Somebody said Pastor Ann a while back, but I also heard a prophetic word that she's going to have a husband one day, so who knows? But for now, she's married to the Lord, and, and she affects thousands and thousands of lives. Amazing woman of God. There's amazing men of God like that. Like without perverts, it's kind of hard to imagine in this world that we live in, not perverted, not weird, not, not you know, closet weirdos. Like really in love with God, serving God, giving their times to prayer and fasting. And just, you know, that, that's a calling. Did you know that? That's a calling. But outside of that, you know, marriage is, is you're, you know, and if you're in the waiting period between celibate to get married, or a season of singleness. I loved hearing that when I was single. We're in your season of singleness. Where you just, I'm like, shut up. But it's true. You're, you're, you're working on your care. Oh, did I say it again? Oh, be quiet. There's a, okay, sorry. Well, I didn't say shut up before. He said stupid. Oh, anyway. I was so irritated. You're supposed to work on your character, and I'm glad that God somehow, or a miraculous act of his grace, allowed us to do that before we got married. Some people rush into marriage, and they don't know how to be. Listen, here, here's some take home. You ready? I can feel it. I don't, I don't know what's been happening the rest of the message, but. If you don't learn to be Christ-like and you get married, you're in for some serious trouble because you're selfish. And if you don't learn to die to yourself and serve that other person and the other person dies to themselves and serves you together, then you make a happy life. But outside of that, outside of that, it's going to be pretty rough. You need Jesus and you need to get rid of your selfishness. It ain't about you, dude. Dude, it ain't about you. And if you want to insist on that way, you probably not have a healthy marriage. You destroy your kids, destroy your family, and be, have a miserable life. You choose. You want a cursed life? Go ahead and have one. Might not me. I don't do that. I'm not going to do that. Anybody else? I ain't doing that. I mean, come on. Thank, I've got two people over here. Three. 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 Anybody else? Anybody else? You're not going to have a cursed life? Okay. Last point. Final thing. And the Lord has helped me survive this message. And I hope you got something. Your relationship as a husband and wife 
is crucial to whether your prayers are answered. What do you mean? Verse 7. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Let's read it all together. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the precious gift of life so that your, nothing will hinder your prayers. In other words, your release of Christ-like character in your marriage, in your family, will release answers to prayer. In other words, if you don't have that kind of behavior and you don't maintain that kind of attitude and you insist on being selfish and foolish and demanding your own way and you refuse to crucify and mortify your flesh and you refuse to be a person, a, a person who lives like Jesus, then your prayers are going to be hindered. Listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. You can have all the money in the world. You can have all the fame and all the fortune. You can shoot the meanest three-pointer and do the triple tomahawk slam dunk all day long with all kinds of contracts and on and on and on. And if you don't have a prayer life that can be answered, dude, all of that means nothing. Because all that can vanish right now. Poof, there it goes. There it goes. There it goes. None of that means anything. It's all going to burn. I love how the Lord puts that in. You can hinder your prayer. I have a healthy marriage. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Oh, it has its challenges. You could ask our kids. Sure. Yeah, we work it out. But I'll tell you what we what we do. Um, we work it out. And uh, you say, do you guys ever argue? Yeah. Again, it's mostly my fault. Amen. I have to take personal responsibility for everything in my house. But we, we, we don't let anything divide us. And we work it out and we resolve it. We do things in agreement. And God knows I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better husband, babe. Can you say that on the microphone so it's recorded? <laughs> that is so mean. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. But <laughs> yes, but I'm going to be a better wife. Amen. Praise God. Come on, how many of you going to be? Come on, how many want to be more like Jesus? Come on, you want to be more like Jesus? Come on, ask God to help you. I didn't preach long. Lord, help us. Here's what I want to do. I want you to just gather for a moment with your, with your spouse. Stand up on your feet all across this place. Get your kids around you if they're here. If your spouse is not here, then... There you go. If you're a single parent, then you stand with the Lord. Because he's, he's, he's your husband. He's your spouse. He'll help you. If you're single, it's a good time to pray for your, your wife or your husband. If you marry somebody that's a person of the flesh, that's not wise. Not smart. You marry somebody that doesn't love the Lord, that's a huge mistake that you'll have to overcome. Missionary dating is a bad idea. It worked for me, but it's a bad plan. Come on, begin to pray over your family. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Brother Haggerty, come and lead us in prayer. The Haggertys have one of the most amazing marriage, healing, redemptive stories that I've ever heard. He's going to pray. I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. He has, come on up. 
He has an, they have an anointing to destroy stuff that tries to work in marriages as part of their tremendous uh, anointings upon their lives. So I want you to break some stuff off. People just pray it and, uh, and turn it loose and however the Holy Ghost leads you. You ready? Come on, pray over your families right now. Go for it. Father, that as we're gathered together, Lord, right now, and we've heard this tremendous word from the Holy Spirit through Pastor Daniel, the Lord, we contend. We contend for our families. We contend for our marriages. We contend for our marriages that we, that for those that are married right now, we contend for our marriages for those that are single but have a desire to be married. We contend for our families. Lord, even in the book of Nehemiah, when you were giving instructions through Nehemiah on how to rebuild and how to construct and how to put things together properly, you gave Nehemiah specific instructions and one that has just struck a chord with me, Father, is that you, you had Nehemiah position the families together to rebuild, position the families together to work together, to labor together to accomplish and build what you have destined. And even in doing that in Nehemiah, it says that you gave Nehemiah instructions to have some position themselves in the lower parts of the wall where there were openings so they could guard against the enemy as the construction and the building was taking place. And what that signifies is we, we need to be careful of the little things in our families. We need to be careful of the little things in our marriage relationship. We need to be careful of the, the things that might seem insignificant because it all matters. You're a gracious Heavenly Father and you've blessed us. You've blessed our homes. You've blessed us with our, our spouses, Lord God. But we contend tonight for each other. We, we, we do what your word says, Lord. We prefer one another above ourselves. Husbands, we prefer our wives above ourselves. Wives, prefer your husbands above yourself. And so begin to see unity take place in the home. We declare right now that the plans and the purposes of the enemy are defeated. They are broken off. They are cast down. They are underneath our feet because of what Jesus has done over every home, over every marriage. Lord, I pray against every stronghold, every addiction, both that might be known and might be being practiced in secret that are little things that are chipping away at the foundation of the marriages and they've come from the enemy and I stand against them tonight and I take the authority that you've given me through Christ because of what you've done, Jesus. And I speak to those strongholds. I speak to those small things. I speak to the plans of the enemy and I say no more over our homes, no more over our marriages. Begin to bring healing right now. Begin to bring restoration right now in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Lord, begin to do what only you can do, what hours of counseling cannot do. Just a few moments in your presence when we come and surrender before you, when we come and just lay ourselves bare before you, and we bare our souls and we don't pray and ask, Lord, change her, Lord, change him, but we come and we say, Lord, change me, make me like you, Jesus. And when we begin to do that and we begin to allow you to do that, then it'll begin to affect every part of our life, especially our marriages. Lord, we take authority over that. Every husband, take authority over your, your family, over your marriage right now. Lord, do what you've done for Jan and I. Do it for others tonight, yes, Lord. Lord God. What looked like was a disaster. What looked like was something that just was never, ever going to be what you purposed and planned. Lord, you took it when we laid it at your feet. 
And you have made it beautiful, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, you've given grace. I'm sure there was an easier road to take to get where, we, where you got us to, Lord. But you, you have extended grace. Extend grace right now. To him. Extend grace right now. Let forgiveness be given and received on both parts right now, Lord, Heal where it needs Lord. to be. Bring healing, Lord. Bring healing, Lord, right now. Heal marriages, God. Father, I speak against generational curses, generational sin. Lord, I know that was a, what was affected and, and played a major key in what went on in our marriage, Lord God. You broke it off in our yes, marriage. God. You promised me. You promised me, Lord when you restored our marriage, that that would not come upon my children as long as we served and honored you, that it was broken off because of what you've done. Lord, do that for others right now. Break off generational curses. Break off generational sins that have just repeated themselves over and over and over through the generations of these homes and these families, Lord. It is done. It is broken by the power of the Holy Spirit tonight. We pray for our sons, Lord, that you'd keep them pure. You'd keep their eyes from looking upon things that would defile them. We pray, Lord, for our daughters as well, that you'd keep them pure, that our kids would never be unequally yoked with unbelievers, but will choose godly relationships that will encourage them to be steadfast in the Lord. We thank you for the gifts and the abilities that you've placed within them. Lord, we pray that they would prosper and grow as Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. We pray, oh God, as parents, you would help us not only have strong marriages as we've just agreed, but Lord, that you would lead us and guide us by your spirit that we might readily prepare each and every one of our kids for the purpose that you have in the earth for them. Provide and bless. Now I pray, God, for single parents, God, that you would strengthen them and help them and intervene on behalf. That you'd raise up fathers, you'd raise up mothers in Zion, Lord, for their children in the name of Jesus. And I pray for those who are single who are perhaps going to live a called celibate life or perhaps they're waiting for their spouse. Lord, with all their heart, with all their mind and all their soul and strength, they will serve you, sublimate. They would yield to you, cry out to you because you are the one that truly satisfies. It's not a person that's going to complete us. You are the one. May we all live like that with complete abandon having you as our example until the trumpet blast, until the day, the great and awesome day of the Lord. Lord, seal this word in our hearts, I pray tonight. Help us to be Christ-like. Help us to treat each other as precious, with respect and honor, reverence, godly fear, that our prayers wouldn't be hindered, that your plan would be brought about. Lord, for those who are married, but they're married to an unbeliever, I pray, God, tonight that you would release a special grace to live like Christ in their deeds and actions. Beauty that would not be outward, but would be inward, whether it be man or a woman. And that spouse would be one because of their incredible Christ-like conduct and love. Not because of their nagging to go to church or their nagging to read the Word or all of that religious stuff. Lord, help them, I pray. And God, we thank you and praise you for the gift of marriage and even for the marriage supper of the Lamb that will yet come. We give you praise. Bless the families of this house. Protect the marriages of this house.
protect the children of this house. May it be an example of strong marriages. Never a divorce. In Jesus' name, there are reasons for it. I understand that. But may there never be a divorce. Bless. I pray healing for those who have been through divorce. I pray healing for the broken-hearted little boy and the broken-hearted little girl that lost their dad or lost their mom, maybe. Families that have been separated and shattered because of sin. Oh, God, heal them. I declare, hey, if you agree, then you, you can agree over your family. I'm saying it over mine. I declare there will not be divorce in the Bracken family ever again. It ended with my parents. You will not have it. Neither will your, neither will your sister and your kids. Kids, should the Lord tarry, will never be divorced in Jesus' name. Did you get something from God? All right, good. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're not right with Jesus, don't leave this place in that condition. You want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time or make a recommitment because you drifted. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? You say, that's me, Pastor. I want to get right with God. Anybody here? God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. There really is a place called hell. It's to be shunned. You must receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You must be born again. If you're not born again, do it tonight. Do it tonight. Do it tonight. Pray this simple prayer if you want heaven to be your home. For the first time, a recommitment. And those just affirming their faith say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place. To rise again from the grave for me. Forgive me of all of my sin. And come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Wash me. Cleanse me. And make me new. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Let me bless you. Service will be over. I would like to enlist the help of every able-bodied person to help us remove all the chairs off the sanctuary floor. If you're able to help us, we would love that. We'd be very, very grateful for it. Let me bless you. Father, thank you for what you've done tonight. Bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Be gracious to us. Keep us. Give us peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.